You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Well, I started tying uh, the custom bull trout streamers, and I think that's mostly where I sort of got this idea, right? You know, bull trout in the mountains. You know, there's uh, you may even know the river I'm talking about, but there's got lots of rock up above it, and it almost looks like there's a cave up there, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at this cave, anybody on this world could imagine that there's something, you know, mystical about it, right? <laughs> and obviously, where my head went was that's where the Yeti, you know, the, the, the Sasquatch, the creature of the Kootenays, you know, that's where he lives. <laughs> and, and some big bull trout. And hence, yeah, the big bull trout, you know, because that's, uh, that's where not as many people go. If I had a perfect day, it would be out uh, swinging my two-hand spay rod for, for big steelhead, you know, in a remote river where there's nobody... Um, you know, maybe three or four of my close buddies. It'd be sweet to have a couple buddies around. Um, like I say, I don't want to really see anyone else for that whole duration. And uh, it would be nice to hook into some, you know, pretty sizable steelhead. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires, bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers, Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Thanks for joining us this time around. We're going to head you out to British Columbia, Canada. We're going to head to Creston, BC, to be specific. We got James Veach on the line. Now, James is a former guide. He was with Clackwatt Wilderness Lodge and Rivers Inlet Sportsman's Club. And now he's, uh, he's tying flies and chasing fins in the Creston area with Creature Custom Flies. James, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to be here with you, Mark. Um, I just, uh, honestly, I just love to talk with more like-minded fly fishermen like yourself. So uh, just a good opportunity to be here for that. Yeah, no, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we got lots to talk about. We really do. But um, first, James, I always like to kind of dig into your history a little bit. So tell yep. me how you came to discover fly fishing. When did it start for you? Oh, I've got a, I've got, you know, a pretty traditional story. Um, uh, I think I was, I'd say, I think I was 9 or 10, um, and I had a really good buddy move to town, uh, I can't remember. I think it was, uh, he's from Halifax. Anyway, long story short, we ended up being pretty darn good friends. And um, we started getting into just like regular fishing on this lake called Duck Lake. Oh, in I, Preston. I know it. Fished it. There's some nice oh, yeah. bass in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was sort of the first original lure to fishing in general. Him and I, you know, we love the lures. We love, you know, the different organization of all the tackle and you know, we did pretty well for, for not knowing uh, a ton about bass back then. You know, we, we caught lots of nice, you know, up to five pound bass. Um, and then 
I remember that same summer, right when we first got into it, his dad kind of, you know, he, he's, he, um, he gave us this little idea. He said, you know, one day uh, I'd really like to take you and Liam up to uh, up to the upper goat river there mm. with uh, with Stefan, one of his work buddies. Um, so a little bit of background here. Uh, he was the brewery manager at the time, and he he kind of knew a lot of different people in Creston with fishing knowledge. So Stefan obviously was like the friend, but kind of like the guide. Uh, and he's an older man in town that uh, I still know, you know, wave to here and there. He's a good guy. Um and Stefan took us up to this spot on the upper goat river. Yep. Um, I can't remember the kilometer mark, but, uh, long story short, it was, uh, it's pretty far back there and it was more for numbers than big fish. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know how that is. If you're trying to get in, you know, get somebody who's a friend of yours into fly fishing. Generally, um, you want to get some numbers, not <laughs> have a day where it's pretty slow. True. So yeah, even, uh, you know, even though, and I didn't know what I was doing, even though I was fishing behind my dad or my buddy's dad and my buddy being in the back of the pack and we're just walking down the river, I still managed probably 25 or 30 cutthroat trout that day. And I can't imagine they did any worse. Wow. That's a beautiful river too. I, I never fished it, driven by it many times. Yeah. So clear, so clean. <laughs> and it's got that nice looking freestone. Oh yeah. man, it's just aqua blue. It's beautiful. Oh yeah. It's so nice. It's like, it's so clean. It's so pure. And, uh, I think maybe that's almost one of the, for me, drawdowns because I think there could be, well, with the size of river that it is, there could be, you know, 20 inch cutthroat in there. But, uh, I think generally the size range is, uh, you know, 14, 15 inches, 16, if you're really, really lucky. Um, but just beautiful, you know, when I look at a river like that, James, I think, okay, that. It's so pretty, but it probably gets scoured real hard when that runoff goes. Yeah, you're totally right about that. Uh, it flushes pretty quick, um, mm. and then generally there's not as much nutrients in it. Right, yeah. Pretty, though. I love those spots. So if you had to cite some people that were influential in the learning curve, kind of when you started getting your waders wet, who, 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 uh, who kind of uh, tutored you, kind of helped you along the way? <laughs> you know... Fly fishing was one of those things that after I was introduced to it by Murray, um, that's my buddy's dad's name. Um, for the most part, it was just always something that I could kind of go back to and de-stress. And as you, uh, you already knew, um, a, a huge part of my life was playing hockey. And especially at that age when I was, uh, I don't know what it'd be probably 12 through to about 18, 19. Right. Um, that was probably the, the heart of my hockey career. I just started, it got serious around 13 and then, um, you know, by 17 was playing junior. Well, I know when, when I, uh, when I Googled your name, elite prospects come up, I always, I always kind of, I am a hockey nut and I noticed, uh, you played a few years, well, quite a few years for the Creston, uh, Thundercats. Um, talk to me about that time playing junior hockey. Was that, was that kind of a highlight so far? Was that a, um, walk me through that. Absolutely. Um, so I guess the first year I played was uh, was with Beaver Valley, which was, yep. you know, it was a nice start. They were a pretty solid team. And then uh, I felt that it was, uh, it made more sense to go back home. So just, you know, I, I think I had the allure to uh, a winning team, but then I realized that uh, it made more sense for me to build at home. Um, so anyway, I came back to Creston that next following year. 
And the first year we had, um, I would say it wasn't the most successful. Uh, we, I think we were fourth place, maybe we we're fourth or fifth. I can't remember, whatever it was. Um, and then obviously that was our building year. So the following year, um, including that year as well, we had a, we had what I would call a really high end hockey coach. And I, I personally haven't had only high end hockey coaches. So I can really say volume to this. When you have a high end hockey coach who can really show you the drill, explain it to you through and through, understand it himself, and then go take a slap shot bar down on your goalie and make him look bad. <laughs> you know, he's probably a good guy to learn from. <laughs> who, what's his name? Who's that? Uh, his, his name was actually Josh Heptich. Uh, and, and he's, uh, he's moved on to coaching professional hockey in, um, in the Maritime Hockey League. Okay, cool. So, yeah. uh, you hung him up in what, uh, are we talking 2014, 2015? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was 20 years old, um, just, you know, into hockey and, uh, kind of looking for something to do. Um, and my brother who, he was actually a huge influence to me in my whole life. Um, growing up, obviously, you know, he's, he's only a couple years older than me and he's been a, you know, carpenter, tree faller and all of those, uh, you know, jobs and careers that I've, I've moved into other than being a fishing guide. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my brother was a pretty big influence, uh, for me there. Cool. So I want, I want to take some time to get to know you in and around, uh, your neck of the woods in, in, in Creston. Are you ready for a few questions that may or may not have much to do with fins? Yeah, no worries. Talk to me about music, man. So uh, when you're driving to the Goat River or you're driving to your favorite Stillwater um, or you're heading out towards the Elk, St. Mary's, wherever you're headed, what are you listening to in your truck? Oh, shucks, man. I'm, you know, I, I, I bet you every fly fishing guy could tell you that, you know, more or less the same unless they're real, real, you know, niche specific. But I, I like a lot of guys, you know, I'm not cultured in one type of music um hmm, if i had to choose one uh i like i like that feeling when you're you know you're going down a bush road and you put on you know like an old hank williams or Hmm. um you know actually tyler childers has been pretty darn uh close to me these days you know that type of music right yeah good stuff yeah no for sure (laughs) that he's come up a few times yeah yeah yeah, absolutely yeah. Um, this is kind of a, a weird question, but if you had one pattern and we should probably, are you doing mostly still water or moving water? Or first off, are you hitting rivers or lakes mostly? So, um, I guess creature flies was founded for me on the idea of basically doing dry flies for the cutthroat trout and massive streamers for, um, bull trout. Yeah. Cause no, that's, that makes sense. you know, that's where I live. Yeah. No, he had some uh, killer bull trout fishing and and cutty fishing. Thanks, thanks yeah. buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I I definitely tie to what I have uh, accessible for me to fish. Mm-hmm. But for me, like I I you know I drive all the way up to uh, you know Terrace region and fish the Bulkley. Um, I go out to the island and I fish salmon on the you know the Campbell and the Quinsome and. Hmm. You know, some of the rivers up north by Port Hardy and Gold River and all that. Um, and, you know, even, you know, there's super busy ones in the lower mainland. I've, I've been to a couple of those, um, like the Vetter and the Stave um, yeah. and uh, the Stamp, you know, on uh, by Port Alberni. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, 
I guess my point here is that I don't really have a genre other than cool. the Northwest. That probably helps you with your tying, right? Because you, if you're tying all kinds of custom patterns, uh, you're probably a little more well-suited to hit the still water, hit the rivers, hit the steelhead, hit the salmon, right? It's um, yeah, probably brings more to your arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's super cool when I can you know, see somebody dissect and show me how they've, they've tied, uh, you know, one of their favorite stillwater flies. Hmm. And then I'm like, Oh man, I've totally, you know, done something like that before on a steelhead fly, or, you know, I've, I've used that technique on one of my other river nymphs and, right. you know, it's a very similar caddis or something, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I guess my question is a long way to ask it, but <laughs> what's a go-to fly pattern for you, James? So if you're, fishing in your let's let's call it in your area there whether you're heading out to duck lake or you're headed out to the goat river um what are you throwing and if you if it sounds like you're throwing a lot of dry flies yeah but you know the way you phrase that i i feel like i should have uh, a one fly pattern that you know i could use for trout or bass or salmon or anything because i kind of do it all mm. um and if i was to pick one it would be like I've got this custom version of a of a Bow River bugger. Okay. And it's got uh, I I tie it two ways. One of the ways is with uh, you know a cone on the head like the traditional and whatnot. But the way that I've been really liking it lately is um, you know with the dumbbell eye head and the stacked gear hair surrounding that head. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what I mean? So I, do. Of, I do. I do. I yeah yeah yeah. I so I've fished I've, that I've pattern. Sorry, go ahead. No worries, no worries. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I've actually got my favorite pattern that I use for that streamer um, in the Fly Fusion magazine end of the line column, which which I uh, I did, let's see, last last uh, last June it came out. Cool. Good for you. So um, what's your favorite place, James, to talk fly fishing? So is there a fly shop in Creston area or is there a pub, a brew pub? Where do you get your fix on fishing when you're not in your waders? Well, uh, you know, I guess number one, first and foremost, uh, I, I've got lots of friends kind of all around from the, the traveling and guiding um, and the connections that I've made. Other than my long distance friends where I kind of, you know, I'll go to the odd shop here and there. Um, if I was to choose one shop, uh, Elk River Guide Shop in Paul. He's uh he's a really good dude, and I've never, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've always had, you know, a good experience talking with him, and he's pretty knowledgeable. Uh, yeah. And he's always sort of uh, sort of watched me grow from the distance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't say a ton, but at the same time, um, I felt like he's been there supporting me, and uh, it's, if I had to choose, it'd be Elk River God Shop for sure. I love that shop. I was through there maybe... I don't get out that way that much, but I want to say about 12, 15 years ago, I'm bad with time, but I walked in there not knowing anybody. They were super helpful. And he gave me this fly and he's like, just throw it and hang on. And it was for, uh, it was for bull trout. And yeah. it was like a, a bullet headed rubber legged. This fly was probably three inches long. And I'm like, what am I going to do with that? And I swear, yeah. I swear to you, James, probably the third cast, I got into like a giant bull trout in the in the in the timber, and it scared, yeah. it scared the heck out of me. I, I thought I was oh, fishing yeah. for cutthroat, and I'm like, "What is this?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, they're absolutely like they're. I don't know. They can be 
they can knock your socks off. They can blow you away all the above. Like the way that they just all of a sudden like come out from, you know, like you say, the timber, the log jam. And then you just see like what I would call a river shark. Yeah. And it's tracking your, your, uh, your streamer. And, uh, you know, I should say another honorable mention, um, about where I get my fix. Cause it's going to come up right now <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> Is, is is Dave the Golden Gilly? He's oh yeah. He's he's another really good guy that uh, I do some work with. Um, you know, he's he's pretty local for me as well. Cool. But I he's guess, up in Golden, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're fishing the same kind of waters. Yes, yes, yes. And what I was going to mention with that is, uh, so the bull trout they sort of track your streamer um, with what they um, what they now know is the Ampuli Lorenzi. Um, and that's a, a really special kind of a electronic sensor on their face, you know, underneath of their nose and kind of like, um, they, mm-hmm. and anyway, so use this MPLI Lorenzi to actually triangulate with their lateral line. Hmm. So yeah, and that's one of the really cool things that, uh, Dave and I have been talking about because bull trout of all species can actually hunt in some of the dirtiest water. You wouldn't think that they could actually hunt it. And we've proved this theory on some of uh, some of Dave's local rivers up there. Wow. Yeah, well, they seem to come from out of nowhere. And, and if anyone's ever hooked up with one, you know what I'm talking about. It can be milky, that glacial tilt kind of milky water, and all of a sudden something just starts rushing, <laughs> rushing your fly. Yeah, oh, man. yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the drug, man. Yeah, you're, you're, you're lucky. I don't, where I'm at, I don't have that. I have to drive for it, but. Sorry, yeah. I'm getting off track here. Let's talk sports, oh, man. Wait. So I know you're a big hockey guy. So it, it, where do you get your fix in sports? Are you a Canucks guy? Are you a Seahawks? Um, where do you, um, who do you cheer for? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of a, you know, I'm kind of a bad BC resident, I guess. I'm a Calgary <laughs> Flames fan. <laughs> well, there's a lot of you out here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, no, um. Go ahead. I'm, uh, I'm, I've been getting into looking at uh, Hoglander play though on the Canucks. He's he's really good. He's uh, hmm. he's fun to watch. Yeah, how's the, how are the Flames looking this year? Uh yeah, no, they, just like last year, I, I I really do feel like the Flames. Uh, they've got a little bit more skill on paper than they, they show up to uh, show each game. Yeah, but um, I think you guys have a nice balance of of skill and veteran leadership, which I think some teams might be lacking. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I, I couldn't think of a better captain on that team than Giordano. Like he's, yeah, he's stone cold, man. That guy knows how to lead. He knows how to lead without saying anything. And he's a good hockey player. Would you guys have Chara now too? Or sorry, not Chara. Um, <laughs> what the hell's his name? You know, about? you know who I'm talking about? The tough guy he used to play for the Giants. Oh shoot. He used to play um, for Edmonton. Um, shoot. I'm, I'm not as current as you'd, you know, as I'd wish to be with that. What, uh, oh, shoot, what's his name? Yeah. He used to fight all the time. What the hell? I don't know. I don't know, man. No, it's, uh, he's yeah, a, I know who you're talking he's a about. Beast. It's, uh, Lucic. Yeah. That guy. Lucic. He's a force. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah, they, they, you know, you look at that guy and a lot of the sports announcers, uh, they'll, they'll say it right away, but, uh, you know, they go up and have an interview kind of like, uh, kind of like us, but in person there. And they stand by Lucic. Oh. And, you know, he's, he's you know, he's six foot three or four or whatever. You know, he may be even not the tallest guy. But you just stand by him. And he's just across the chest and shoulders, just an absolute unit. Yeah. And I think 
that's that's definitely something to bring to the table. You know, he steps on the ice, and you're not taking a hit. You're not taking a swing at their good player yeah. just because Lucic is there. And and your head's on a swivel. <laughs> yeah. Um, biggest lesson that you've learned in fly fishing, James. So if you had to kind of distill down what you've learned to a single takeaway, and I know that's a big question, but what does it bring to your world? Oh, I, uh, I hope I don't sound too cliche with this, but I'm, I've, I've thought of this for a long time. Um, it's a really, really famous quote by, uh, Henry David Thoreau. Okay. You probably know the one. I, I don't know, man. Throw it. I, I bet oh, you I yeah. don't. I don't know that many quotes. Let's hear it. Well, it goes, uh, now I hope I don't butcher it, but it goes a little bit something like this. Um, many go fishing all their lives without knowing it's not the fish they're after. Mm. Yeah. I, I do know that one. I didn't know who, who, who came up with it, but yeah, that's a great quote. Yeah. And there's a yeah, lot of, Henry David Thoreau. A lot of truth to that. As, especially yeah. the older you get, the more you realize that. Definitely. So, um, and if I had to pick a day that I really felt that, you're yeah. going to laugh at me, but I was in the middle of nowhere. It was negative 15. We almost had a stuck truck in snow and we were steelheading up a tributary and obviously got nothing. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? You still have a good story about it. Oh yeah. We, uh, we had some pretty cool videos of us uh, digging out the truck and yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. No, those like for me, when things go haywire and things start going off the rails, <laughs> that's when it kind of gets good because it's like, you know, you don't see that coming, but that's usually when you kind of have the best stories and, 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 I don't know. It's just uh, something to kind of go to in the vault when it's like, hey, remember when? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, remember when we got stuck 40-some K out? Like, yeah, uh, we, we thought we were totally screwed. Fill in the blank for me, man. When I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Oh, yeah. I would say, well, <laughs> without being cliche, work. And, and generally for work, that's... uh that's carpentry. Um, I mean, right now, mostly exterior carpentry, but definitely all of the above and uh, tree falling. Yeah. Yeah. So you're keeping busy and, and then you throw in some fly tying there. It's like, you betcha. How, how do you find time to get the line wet? Uh, you know, that's a tough one for me. And for the most part, um, and I feel pretty lucky to be at this point. But when I was younger and trying to juggle work, I never really knew how to get, you know, the line wet and, you know, juggle the work and, and still get out fishing. But I think now with, with understanding the seasons and, and when I would actually really like to go fishing, uh, I can, I can pick and choose when it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So talk to me about creature custom flies. When did you start this venture? How long you been doing it, and and what you know what inspired it? Uh yeah, that's a good that's a good one. Um, I think, well, I started tying uh, the custom bull trout streamers, and I think that's mostly where I sort of got this idea, right? You know, bull trout in the mountains. You know, there's uh, you may even know the river I'm talking about, but there's got lots of rock up above it, and it almost looks like there's a cave up there, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at this cave, anybody on this world could imagine that there's something, you know, mystical about it, right? <laughs> and obviously, where my head went was that's where the Yeti, you know, the, the, the Sasquatch, the creature of the Kootenays, you know, that's where he lives. 
And some big bull trout. And hence, yeah, the big bull trout, you know, because that's, uh, that's where not as many people go. The, I mean, you're in such a beautiful part of the world. And, I mean, Creston, for those that don't know it, Creston is in the, well, you're what, on the south end of the Columbia Valley. It widens up, and it's it, for somewhere that's kind of surrounded by mountains and good fishing. You got vineyards, you got cherries, you got peaches, you got you know. You guys have a very distinct kind of uh, climate around there. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I guess this is maybe where you'd be really interested because um, we've probably got one of the best places to grow, you know, pears and. And I think even grapes, like nobody's really done it for wine out here, but you know, with the, where we have, um, and you know, the soil quality that we have, which is probably for the most part better than the Okanagan. And then, you know, Creston is in the Kootenays. So, you know, I guess where the Okanagan beats out most of the Kootenays is that they get a lot of light. So they've got more natural light, you know, for more growing hours and all that. Um, but Creston, I guess it's kind of one of those special places in the Kootenays where mostly everywhere else is generally in between uh, some mountains. And Creston's in this big, wide open dish. It's, it's, it's almost like the Okanagan. So we've got this kind of a happy zone where it's about five degrees warmer than everywhere else in the Kootenays. Yeah. And it's got an hour of sunlight more no matter what. Yeah, well, you guys have a few wineries out there that I'm familiar with, and I know your your land's yep. a little more fertile for sure. Um, you know, lots of uh, some some really quality farm farmland down in, in the valley there for sure. But um, I, I always remember going out there years ago, and uh, there wasn't many places you could um, chase largemouth bass in British Columbia. But, yeah, but Duck Lake, there's some there's some. Uh, I remember one time stopping at that little pub right beside Duck. I think it's called like the Duck Lake Inn or the. You could tell. Sirdar Pub, my friend. What's it called? The Sirdar Pub, my friend. It's uh, yeah. still open. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been in there. That's a that's a that's a fun little place. And I just remember yeah. going to that lake and thinking, this is shallow. Like, how do these fish not die? It's it. You'd think it would winter kill because it's so. You know, you come off. Like like if you take the ferry over and then you start coming up, um, you know the arm of um Kootenay Lake there, and then all of a sudden it's like um it's all milfoil and shallow, and I'm I just remember thinking I don't know how these fish could even survive the winter. Yeah, generally in the past before they had the dike system, it would you know flood up in the spring and then be a standing still water body for, I don't know, maybe three months or basically until they didn't have as much rain and probably around Canada today, I'm going to assume. Uh, and then, yeah, there was just kind of a marshy wetland there and there wasn't water. So uh, when Bailey Groman settled the Kootenay area, um, and I'm, I'm talking, you know, the, the projects that he started were all the way from Canal Flats with the, the Columbia Kootenay you know, system that they were going to connect and, you know, have mm -hmm. paddle wheelers go all the way up, you know, all the way down to the, you know, the diking um, and whatnot in the Crescent Valley. So Bailey Groman's projects, uh, you know, and, and you've probably heard of the Bailey Groman winery. So I was I just going to say, that yeah, that is a winery as far as I know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So anyways, in the, in about 1945, they, they, uh, created the dikes on that system with all the others and they put a pump house which pumped duck creeks water through that 
whole system. And then obviously they've got a pump house on the far side. So it, it empties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the premise of this is there's more or less um, through the lake, a constant current pushed by Duck Creek. Okay. So yeah, um, they've got both, um, you know, oxygen from the creek and it, it, you know, it stays moving. So, you know, it doesn't freeze them solid in, you know, four yeah. feet of water, which often is, you know, you've seen the lake. Yeah, no, <laughs> makes sense. I felt like I could walk across the whole thing, but uh, uh, very unlike the, uh, the Kootenai, or sorry, the, uh, where are those giant trout out of? Kootenai Lake. Kootenai Lake, you are, you are right on, on that. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's maybe a, a talk for another night, unless you want to get into it. But uh, I'm doing some work with uh, both um, the, it'd be like, what do they call it? The Tanaha band, like the, the Creston mm-hmm. uh, tr- uh, band that's in our region. Yep. And um, also the Creston Valley Wildlife Management Area. So sort of two different projects. And um, the Lower Kootenai Band, as, as they're called, um, they're working on the Goat River system. And uh, the Crescent Valley Wildlife Management System, uh, <clears throat> or sorry, Center is working on the Summit Creek System. Okay. So, anyway, the whole the whole reason for these two things is to work on kokanee population that in turn will help Kootenay Lake. Yeah, well, for those that don't know, Kootenay Lake has some of the biggest rainbow trout pretty much anywhere on the planet. But they and they the reason they get so big is because of your kokanee, which is basically a landlocked sockeye salmon. And they feed very, and and you also have a lot. I believe it's mice and shrimp in there, is it not? That uh, those kokanee feed on. Yeah, there's uh, well, there's mice, there's high lella, and yeah, I, I think the ones that you're thinking of are mice that they planted. Um, right. But I guess the the interesting thing about the mice shrimp they they found is the they're generally um, at at a level of water depth that the kokanee aren't in proximity with them as much in Kootenay Lake because of how deep it is. Hmm. Uh, so that's, that's kind of unfortunate. They, they thought it was going to really help the fish and I'm not sure if it's, you know, it's, it's done as much as they were hoping. Right. Yeah. And that's because they, I think the young kokanee kind of feed on the same feed as the mysis. Is that, is that right? Well, generally the, the kokanee and the rainbow trout um, are, closer to the thermocline and especially in the winter when when they probably feed on mysis as their predominant food source okay. so i from what i know that the mysis they they hang out generally right where the water changes to being completely black hmm. um you know because you know they, they pretty much have no color to them they're clear uh and yeah so like from what i know they they generally don't hang out where there's light so for the coconut come in proximity with them it it seems, it seems like it's just it's one of those things that's uh, more of a hope and a dream. So, I was going to uh, get into some serious questions here with you, but before we do, I want to know. Yeah. Um, we kind of scratched the surface here on creature custom flies. You made it sound like you're maybe we're tying some bucktails up for the bigger water and whatnot. Um, you betcha. What's the story with creature flies now? What are you doing? Who are you tying for? And and how do people find you? Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm just a small company right now, and I guess I should say for the most part in the last like three or four years, I've I really have been trying to to uh, take the next step with my life, not just 
you know, with fishing, but career wise and, and overall, you know, status quo, like I'm really working on um, renovating this house, selling it and moving on. And I guess, uh, I guess that's kind of sort of got in the way a little bit. So you mean, you mean the time got in the way? Yeah, no, sorry. Um, that all sort of got in the way of, yeah, I know where I was going with that. That all got in the way of um, actually production selling flies. Right. So moving forwards, now I'm at a point where I'm, I've got a little bit more time. Uh, I'm a lot more set up. And uh, yeah, I'm actually working on a 1,000 bucktail order right now to sell in Creston. 1,000 bucktails? That's a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I just, I just started to take some of those steps to make it a little easier, like uh, setting up a jig for cutting the wire, and uh, I've got a pretty sweet rotisserie wheel that I just had a a friend from uh, Multitech. He built it for me for f- hmm. five free bucktails. So, what do you use mostly for the bodies on your bucktails? Yeah, so the bodies, the the thickness is mostly built up from that wire that you kind of like tie in then fold over and then tie in again so it won't come out Mm -hmm. okay and then on top of that generally i like to use uh flat diamond braid diamond braid okay because i remember back in the day they used to use like polar bear they used to use uh probably it's probably taboo now um shoot uh well just natural bucktail right like from from white tail oh sorry I totally thought you were talking when you say body, what's surrounding the hook, not the actual wing. The wing is the bucktail, right? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the body is like the flat diamond braid or or we'll use like uh, like 15 strands of whatever color flash you'd like. Right. Okay. What's your go-to color? Oh, yeah. uh, I'm a fan of what we call the purple kokanee. Um, It's uh, a little bit of black. A little bit of purple uh, and white on the bottom, obviously. But, yeah. you know, in comparison to some of the other ones, less white and then silver and purple flash through the body. I know that fly exactly. It's funny because, I mean, so I'm on the Okanagan Lake. You're on yeah. basically just off the Kootenai Lake. And the fishing is not, you know, it's very similar between those two for lar- for the large fish in, in those lakes. Oh, it, you're, you're totally right about that. Uh, it, other than, like, numbers and actual size, the style of fishing is exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, well, when I was a kid, I can remember a fish coming out of Okanagan that rivaled some of the stuff you guys had out there. It was crazy. And, and the coke. Yeah. I can remember somebody catching a nine-pound kokety. And that was before Holy. That was before the sockeye even got up here. So, yeah, no, it was uh, back in the day, it was crazy. But um, yeah, it's that's a different style of fishing. And um so so with the company with creature custom flies do you do you have people you know message you or dm you and say hey i need uh any chronomids or i need dragons or what does your day-to-day look like with that yeah um for the stillwater stuff i've been doing like little custom orders nothing huge i think i think i've sold about uh 100 flies this year since you know 2021 mm-hmm. for stillwater yeah and that's and that's often mostly to friends. Um, but generally where I want to make the money is where the money is. Not as much in the little flies, but you know, bucktails, yeah. steelhead flies, uh, stuff where you can, you know, you can probably double your money in time. Yeah. No, that makes sense. 
So if somebody wants to find you, what's the best way? Is it Instagram right now? Yeah, uh, generally Instagram. Uh, and then I'm trying to think if I have my number on there or not. But uh, yeah, there's a link to my personal Instagram. So whether it's, uh, you know, the business account or the personal, you can always direct message me on Instagram. You got any crazy fish stories for me? Has anything weird happened to you in your time in the water, James, that like uh, comes to mind, like uh, bizarre? You wouldn't believe it, but this actually happened. Cool. Let, you, let me let me think on that one for two yeah. seconds. Do you have another question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can make something up. Um, yeah. Your perfect day on the water. So if you could harness your dream day, whether it's on a river system or still water system, or maybe you're chasing steelies, I don't know. But what, what does your perfect day look like? What kind of fish are you chasing? What kind of flies are you throwing? What are you drinking? Walk us through that. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm definitely uh, a simple man, that's for sure. Um, just uh, just as a lot of still water guys are, uh, are after, if I had a perfect day, it would be out... Uh, swinging my two hand spay rod for, for big steelhead, you know, in a remote river where there's nobody, um, you know, maybe three or four of my close buddies. It'd be sweet to have a couple buddies around. Um, like I say, I don't want to really see anyone else for that whole duration. And, uh, it would be nice to hook into some, you know, pretty sizable steelhead. Um, yeah. Uh, if I had to say a place, I think, I think the Dean river I've, I've been planning to mm, go to. That sounds all right. Uh, what do you, uh, is there a campfire at the end of the day? Something warm to drink, something cold to drink? Oh yeah. No, um, I'm, I'm definitely a whiskey man. If, if you're talking alcohol. Okay. What kind of whiskey do you like? Um, Canadian as it gets, man. Crown Royal, Crown Royal all the way. <laughs> Living in Creston. I thought you might say like Kokanee or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> no, I, I mean, the beers are good, but the whiskey's better. <laughs> yeah fair enough i get it is there anything about the sport of fly fishing that you would like to see us do differently like are we in a really good spot or is there something maybe we could be doing a little better like as a culture yeah exactly like um is is there anything that kind of irks you whether it's social media or you know keep them wet or yeah 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 i know 100 percent. actually i think uh I think generally for me, for me, I'd like to see, well, it's, it's, it's a tough one to say because everyone wants to promote themselves, but it's, it's, it's working on doing that, but also being humble. And I think that's what I'm really working on myself is, is not trying to seem like I know more than the next guy, but also really being, um, generally open to, you know, share, but also humble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And that's, uh, honestly, that's why I started this show, because this show's not about me, it's about you. It's about whoever whoever comes on the show and kind of capturing your story and, um, you know, telling us why you love to come to the water. And I don't know about you, James, but for me, anything I can do that I never know at all, that's what I want to do. Because, I mean, otherwise it's boring, right? Like, it's like... You sit at your tying vice night after night, and you always, always get better. There's always something more to learn. And for me, I I just find, you know, you can look at the entomology aspect of what we're doing. You can look at the casting techniques. You can look at, there's so many different ways you can go. And for me, I, I, it encompasses a lot of skills. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you there. And maybe just to add to that, um, just being able to always learn, like you say, and then I think coming full circle with that, you know, maybe even being able to learn something recently and then being able to pass that on to somebody and actually have them be successful from your knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you know, like you say, passing that on. Uh, for those of you that are, are joining us, I've, I've got uh, James Veach on the line from Creature Custom Flies. He's out of Creston, British Columbia, Canada. He was a guide, a uh, former high-level hockey player, uh, junior level. Uh, he also worked with Clackwatt Wilderness Lodge, Rivers Inlet Sportsman Club. And uh, I'm actually, so you got video going right now, and I can see that you, you're you looking like you're tying on a, a fancy Renzetti there, from what I can tell. Yeah, yeah, you betcha, you betcha. And actually, sorry, I just had to move my phone because it uh, it looked like it was at 1%, but uh, I'll, I'll spin the vice around here if you want to. Yeah, that's so. I got a traveler that that looks like a little higher end. Uh, yeah, it's similar though. It's got like a pivoting arm there. What what model yeah, is yeah, that? Yeah, this is a nice bench. I call it the bench. I'm not sure what everyone else would call it, but it just you know it allows you to do all those kinds of different ribs and different mm. things when you have your fly tied off and hung over on the bench. Do you use the rotary function a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I've. Uh, I kind of messed up my shoulder when I was playing hockey. So just being able to use both arms and then, you know, like I say, you've got your, 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 um, your bobbin hanging off your bench and then, you know, with a, a quick uh, whip or whatever, and you're able to just, without having that line turn counter rib, you know, use your left arm and all that stuff. And it just allows you to take the stress off of your tying arm. It's really nice. If you had any kind of um, tips for us tying, us, us folks that are just doing it kind of for the fun, maybe some time-saving tips, is there any kind of nuggets of wisdom you could throw out there? Oh, definitely. One, uh, one I've really started to take uh, through and through in the last little bit is uh, especially on coronavids um, and flies where you're consistently tying, you know, near or towards the head. Anything that you're... Con- you're always bringing your string back towards the head of the fly. Mm-hmm. Quickly put an overhand knot or a whip or whatever you do to fasten your fly. Like I just do one or maybe even two whips. Yeah. Take my whip finisher out. Uh, and that's just going to allow you, you know, after all those important crucial steps and the perfect ribbing and all that stuff, that's going to allow you to not have your fly blow up on you while you're doing your next piece. <laughs> it's funny you said that. I, I, I came up with this chronomid pattern the other night that was pretty complicated and i'm like this is awesome and then all of a sudden uh my thread broke and i'm and i hadn't done a lot of whip finishes and i'm like oh man you just you just start getting angry <laughs> yeah man all of a sudden you're like ah how do i use my teeth to thread my bobbin at the same time as hold my fly together yeah it's nuts what, what kind of um yeah. let's, let's talk equipment for tying so are you are you like a unithread, UTC, Semperfly? What are you using for thread? UTC most of the time. Um, mm. And then the odd time I do use um, unithread, uh, just with a few specific colors that I, I really can't get in the UTC. Okay. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, I U- like the way the UTC lays out flat. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, it's a great product. And there's lots of different colors. And uh, I, I, I really enjoy working with that. I, I've uh, recently tried this uh, Semperfly Semper Nano Silk, and it is strong, man. It, 
<laughs> it's hard to break that. You get you almost need a razor to cut it. It's uh, it's hard on the scissors, but man, is it strong. Oh, I'll be honest. I I've I've just recently heard of it from some of the other uh, names on the Stillwater Flying page. Like they really, a lot of them have really been pushing it. Um, but I guess one thing that I should talk about with my fly tying is, which I really feel like I. <laughs> I'm tying all my stuff out of, you know, less materials and less money and the smaller budget. And I, I really feel like I'm a little bit outgunned compared to some of the people that have like literally thousands of dollars of everything to tie with. Well, I, th- I think it's cool though, that w- when you can, you were talking to me just before we started this interview, you're using a different material for the gills of chronomids. Maybe talk to me about that. Cause I know a lot of people use like Unistretch, um, but you're getting creative over there. What are you using? Yeah, so I'll pull out a little piece here uh, um, before it's completely unraveled. And we'll see if we can get her in the video here. See this fuzzy clump mm-hmm. of mess? That's uh, uh, that's when you take the, um, what are the, I guess the tines off of a uh, head. And I call it the sideshow bob mob head <laughs> for, for a descriptive picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you take those and you unravel it and you can get sort of a, like a almost like a woolly fiber, but it's actually long. You can see you can you can really stretch on it. And uh, when you when you get your little piece, like I'll give you a, a prepared piece here. Um, the one thing that I noticed, which is really really sweet, compared to every other gill material, uh, when you tie it in, it it's got literally zero bulk whatsoever. And then I've got a just one right here where I just tied in the the gill. It kind and of flares see, out. It flares out, right? So it compacts down and flares out when you cinch it down. Exactly. And it really allows you to have, you know, even if you don't do your split gills, mm-hmm. you can kind of just like kind of ruffle that up at the front. And it looks way more realistic than that sort of gill. Yeah, no, that that's a great tip. So so that's just basically from a from a, a mop head, like a like a standard mop, like a Yeah. Yeah, and if I had to say the name, I think it's a Violeta, to be honest. Okay, okay. So, uh, what about hooks? What's your go-to in hooks? Or um, name a couple brands you like to tie on. Uh, I I virtually tie on everything. Well, I I don't know if I can get them anymore, but I just finished all my old stock of uh, of Dairiki. Yeah. I know everyone uses Daiichi um, as fairly common, but uh, you know the Dairiki hooks. Uh, I'm trying to think how long ago I bought them. I think Trout Waters actually had them way back in the day. Yep, um, and I did. got them in Kelowna there. Yeah. I, I've got a lot yeah. from them too. A lot of Dairiki hooks. They're, they are a good hook for sure. Yeah. And then I think now I, I generally don't stray too far from normal. Like I said, I don't have, uh, um, <laughs> access to the same amount of materials as, as, you know, some of the other really high end fly tires that I, that I watch and learn from. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I go to our local shop and, you know, they're a fishing shop. They've got a few different things and they carry Mustad. So yep. I do use a lot of those too. Yeah. So if you had to point to some tires that kind of inspire you, um, James, is there like a YouTube channel or is there somebody you like to watch tie or that you kind of get a lot out of? Yeah. You know, this is one of those questions I, I read in your email and I, I really did think about, um, yeah so remember when i was telling you about the original uh i guess the origins of creature flies being you know streamer heavy that kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah so 
right when I was getting into it, I think I, I virtually just tied articulated streamers and like maybe the odd nymph and odd dry fly. Um, and at that time, I was watching uh, Fly Fishing the Ozarks and Brian Wise, and I really had to think about it, but that's who I watch, and that's who I learned a lot from. He's he's awesome. We've actually had him on the show, and that guy, he has yeah. got an addictive... He just gets the juices going. He, I, I love talking to Absolutely. Brian. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a character. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure, and a really good tire. Yeah. So on the... On the uh, you know, when getting back to your tying, um, when you whip finish, um, are you using a tool for that? Are you a hand guy? What do you use for that? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I do know there's lots of guys who can do the hand whip. And I got a couple of buddies that I tie with who, you know, they occasionally chirp me and say, hey, you can't do a hand whip. And I'll do it just because. But, yeah. And when it, call, when it all comes down to speed and just being consistent, uh, this style I'm trying to think of what they call this style of whip finisher. It's the one that has the two sort of uh, balls on the end and the whole thing pivots yeah. without the arm stretching. Yeah, that's my go-to. I don't even know what it's called, but I know the exact one you mean. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, totally. It, it kind of swivels nicely. It's it, Yeah, it's uh, it's a good tool for sure. Yeah, what? and rigid. Like the other ones, they I, I don't, I'm not sure. They're too um, flexy, right? They flex too much. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know for my style. I, I mean, I push too hard, I guess. Yeah, I do the same. I do the same, and I get frustrated with that. It needs to be a little... Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. There's lots of different tools, and that's that's what I love about tying. Um, you, you were telling me a little trick to get your thread. How do you get your your uh, your thread in your bobbin once you're uh, threading that thing? Oh, yeah, generally, I just, I get uh, about, well, I, I hope to get about three quarters of an inch of the thread started. And, and to do that, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll wet it down, just yep. um, bring it through my lips or whatever so that it's got a little bit of moisture to it. Yep. And I think that's one of the biggest things is that it actually weighs something versus nothing when you put a little water on it. Makes sense. Uh, and then, yeah, I just kind of close my lips on the other end and use suction, bring it through. Um you know, it's maybe it's a little faster and easier than uh, a threader, so that's what I do. Yeah, no, that's good, good tip. And I love these little tips because, um, what do you, do you have a Velcro brush or some type of wire brush uh, for kind of, uh, you know, roughing up the dubbing that you're using? Oh, you betcha! I've got. Uh, I don't even know. I should almost have a name for this thing. That, is that what you brush your dogs with? <laughs> it could be it's actually a synovia shoe cleaning brush okay. from uh i can't even remember maybe nordstrom rack down in the states hmm. um but it just uh it happened to work really good because it's got it's got like you know two or three kinds of bristles on it uh very similar to the uh the brushes that clean like a golf ball oh yeah the exact same yeah is, is that is that wire is that a wire brush so yeah, I was just gonna say I gotta pull all that dubbing out. You see, you see, I do use oh, okay. it. Okay. Yep. Cool. Pull all that out so you can actually see. And in the middle, like I say, it's a it's a dual brush. In the middle, it's wire, and mm -hmm. on the outside, it has the uh, the typical kind of comb fibers. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people use Velcro. I know I have a Velcro one. I see people use wire brushes. There's so many different ways to do it, but um, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, what about UV resin? Are you a resin guy at all? Oh, man, if I had to say the one item that would probably take my tying game to the next level would be actually having a UV resin in my arsenal. Um, like, I've definitely played with UV resins uh, 
But then once again, like I've, I've got the, you know, the $5 thing, a hard head or the $5 yeah. thing of, uh, of, um, hard as hull. Uh, and you know, I generally go at, uh, is a little bit cheaper, you know, versus getting a, you know, $45 thing of, of, uh, you know, curing yeah. whatever, you Do know, you, solar as, or you ever use Loctite or, uh, any of those like gorilla glue, any of that type of stuff, super glue. Yeah. I like, I like Loctite super glue. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's wicked because it, it dries super fast. And, uh, you know, if you're going to, like, just use it intermittently through your flies because uh, it dries so fast and you don't have to actually wait, like, an extra minute or whatever, uh, it, it can create some really, really durable uh, smaller flies. What about scissors? Is there a brand you like to use or is there a certain style of scissors you use? Oh, yeah. I'm a Dr. Slick guy for sure. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Cool. Yeah. So what's, um, you know, has it been a fairly busy winter for you, James, as far as time? You're getting a few orders in these days, or what's it looking like? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm not sure if this will be viewed on the video or, or what, but uh, we'll see if we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, I got this out for you here. Mind, uh, mind the subway. Yeah. But this was, uh, this is what I did for my personal box for Stillwater this year. As you can see, um, I'm really starting to fill the boxes so we're i'm looking at um, a video right now james has got well how many patterns you got there i'd say you got uh oh, a few hundred those fish yeah, don't stand a uh, chance it's uh it's actually when you uh when you zoom out and see all these here it's actually up to about 1200 still water flies i've got here 12 well you're your mic's getting muffled there 1200 still water flies that's <laughs> yeah that's, that's all right that's a yeah. few hours work. Oh yeah, and I should say this box right here, which is two hundred. Uh, this isn't mine. I tied that for my brother. But you can see we've got uh, all the crownies on one side, and then you've got a little mixture of pretty much everything you'd need on the other. Looking good, man. Well, I tell you what, I I, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Throw all your social media out there in case some. Um, we didn't get it earlier. If somebody wants to get some custom flies off you, um, how do they reach you? Well, I will, uh, I'll say just like before my Instagram, uh, at creature flies or, um, my cell phone is, uh, two five Oh four Oh two eight four eight three. Um, I'm very old school actually. Um, you know, email's good, but, uh, I, I'm definitely a cell phone guy. Cool. Well, hey, man, I, I appreciate you taking the time tonight. If you're ever out in my neck of the woods, give me a shout. You got my number. We'll, we'll chase some fins. And if I'm out your way, I'll do the same, man. Uh, thanks for doing this. Absolutely, Mark. No worries. You uh, you make sure that if you're ever looking to uh, bend a fly rod for a big bull trout, uh, you come my way. I'll help you out for sure. I'll take you up on that. We've been chatting tonight with James Veach. James is the owner of Creature Custom Flies out of Creston, British Columbia. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Thank you.